This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Hey there, everyone, and thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. I'm Janice Robinson Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Black Parenting Magazine. I want you to tell all your friends and followers about the show. So go to our Facebook page if you're not already there for Successful Black Parenting and share the link with your followers right now and let people know you're joining us. But even better, if you can click into the options and start a watch party that brings everybody in and they'll get to hear all this great content. In addition, you can comment on Facebook and I will post the best comments live on air. Know that our hashtag for the show is hashtag backtalk. We'd love to find what you posted about the show later on on air. Now, my guest today is Norman Austin. Hey, Norman. Good morning, Janice. Thanks for having me. Now, he is a math genius who has been seen on TEDx. Norman has an innovative approach to teaching mathematics and learning numbers. He is constantly developing new community-based initiatives and services to support higher mathematic achievement in Black children. He dreams of seeing a nationwide mathematics renaissance where students simply learn to love numbers. So I'm so glad to have you here, and I thank you for coming on Backtalk. Thank you for having me. So, well, no problem. How did um, this fear no number thing come up? Tell me about that, because I, I heard you say that in your talk many times. What is fear no number? Well, fear no number is an approach to teaching students to work algorithms, to understand the operations of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. But from a point at which it's just not so rote, it's by patterns, it's by using the Advocates, it's very hands-on. Uh, the idea of fear no number is born out of my own experiences as a child in Seattle Public Schools, um, where I learned a fear of doing numbers, working with mathematics at school. So fear no number is basically an idea that every child can be a number theorist. Every child must master arithmetic and has to happen in the early grades. So we build a lot of our programming around arithmetic, and we call those algorithms and those processes along with the advocates fear no number. And we're really clear to our students about uh, being unafraid to do mathematics. Oh, I, I think this is a great program. As a person who has had a um, mostly hate relationship with math all my life, um, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. Sure. I really appreciate people like you who uh, make math come alive for our children. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I listened to your TED Talk and I thought it was very, very inspirational. So, um, you know, just so you know, if you haven't seen it, guys, look up his name, Norman Austin, and his TED Talk is really, really good. And um, but you mentioned something that really hit home and resonated with me. And that was how much you loved school and you really um, were were basically strong, a confident learner until third right? So one of the things that I wanted you to talk about, because it's really important, your third grade teacher is pivotal to your success in school and how much you love school after that. So can you talk about that a little bit? So uh, I'm almost 60. And uh, back in those days, I was in school, uh, kindergarten in the 1960s. Uh, My father 
had sent me to school a fluent reader. He probably had me reading the dictionary, no kidding, by the age of three, four years old. I'm a reader. So I go to school very, very confident, and I have an insatiable desire to learn. When I was in the third grade in Seattle, and I remember this just like it were yesterday, uh, I come into the classroom, uh, I stand behind my desk with my backpack, uh, the teacher's playing a game, and she's kind of putting us on the spot. And she asked me a multiplication fact. She asked me what three times three was. I was a third grader. This was a long time ago. And I didn't like playing that game because I just kind of felt pressure. And if I make a mistake, you'll get laughed at. So I kind of paused to act like I was thinking about, you know, the product. And while I was pretending to think about it, she starts laughing at me. And all the kids start laughing at me. And I stand there humiliated and embarrassed. But I can tell you, even then as a third grade child, I said to myself, what's being done to you right now, Norman, is wrong. She has no right to shame you and humiliate you in front of your peers. That day was the end of my desire to ever do mathematics as a student in Seattle Public Schools. After that, I retreated, made myself small. Uh, I soon became labeled slow, learning disabled, special ed. All the labels were pulled upon me. I was then pulled out in the fourth grade uh, into a small closet space with three other African-American boys. We were all literally crying because the teacher would threaten to hit us if we couldn't say what eight plus five was. And that's how they were supposed to be teaching us arithmetic. So I learned to fear. But. Math is a fun and it's a beautiful thing, but my experiences were very, very, and I hate to say this, but they were very, very ugly as a child. So what changed that? Like, what was the catalyst that that made a difference for you? You know, for me, I just wanted to go to college. I wanted to be a student. I always wanted to do something with my life. And I didn't have support at home. I didn't have support anywhere, but I think God just gave me something innate. And I just wanted to achieve. And so, uh, you weren't getting in trouble in school when I was a kid. I mean, the teachers could hit you. The principals would whip you. I was beaten many times from kindergarten to third grade. I just had a desire to learn. And I wasn't going to let anybody take that away from me. So I would always go home and study. I always studied at home. But by the time I understood the mathematics the teacher was talking about, by the time I got to school, after I figured out at home, they're on to the next thing. So, so I can't keep up. I'm falling behind. And I'm very discouraged, I'm angry, but I know that education is my way out. It's, it's, it's the only hope that I have in this life is to get an education. And so uh, it, was, it was difficult, there was no support, but I think, as I said, God just put something down inside of me to say, Norman, don't you ever quit. If no one else cares, if no one else sees, I do. That's awesome. Uh, I, I really applaud you for studying and figuring out even if you were behind, because there are times I ask teachers all the time and I always have to relate to my own experiences with a lot of these things, whether it comes to my children, myself. But I remember asking every teacher, how is this going to help me in real life? Like, what's the practicalities of it? And I had one teacher in college finally explain to me how a parabola, how you can tell the projection of a uh, trajectory of a rocket ship from that, how you can use math to determine how long radioactivity will last. Those are the kind of concepts sure. that I sure. think our children do well with because we are practical people. We always had to be. So, I mean, do you agree with that? That's showing how it relates to real life really gives you more of a love and more of an interest in it. So I wholeheartedly agree. What you're speaking 
about is application and demonstration. So, you know, mathematics doesn't exist on a textbook, on a worksheet, on a page. It's something that we all can physically see and experience in our own lives and the things that we just, you know, experience. And so case in point, a parabola, a parabola can go like this and go like that, like that. When you jump into the swimming pool and you're off the high dive, you go down and you come up. And so the parabola opens like this. When an apple, and I can accelerate an apple about 800 feet in the sky, I do that, uh, it goes up like this. And so all that's found in an equation called the uh, standard form of the quadratic equation, which says ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero. Now, who cares about that right now? And that's not the way to get kids to understand it. You got to let them see it, feel it, touch it, and give them a place to understand and relate. You're talking about making it clear to students by application and demonstration. That's the way our kids want to learn. That's exactly how they sadly are not taught. And it's sad because I can't tell, I think every single math teacher all through school, I asked that same question and they never answered it for me and just put more problems on the board. And I remember the problems just looking like gibberish. And I still yeah. have math sort of phobia because because of that, I never went on to take like a, a trig or any advanced math because yeah. I was afraid of it. I'm still sort of afraid of it. And I yeah. recently had to take yeah. a... Um, graduate exam and I aced the writing part. So sure. when it came to the math part, the lady in the, I don't even want to know what I got. The lady at the testing center actually giggled because I know my math score was so low because as soon as I saw trigonometry, I was like, what is this? Because I never had a class. And yeah. I was like, this looks like writing on the side of a spaceship to me. I don't know what this is. That's how bad I was because I had never seen it before. So, you know, I think it's imperative because you don't know, like, here I am, I'm older, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm older, and here I am needing trigonometry now to get into the college that I want for graduate school. So, you know, I need them to know that that's important. What, what I would suggest to you is that you were never bad at math. <laughs> you were never, ever, at any moment in your life, unable to learn math and do math. I would assert to you that you were with teachers who weren't able to help you understand. You were the teachers who didn't understand your learning style and your modality, and maybe they lacked the patience, and perhaps they themselves could only explain mathematics with symbolism and notation on a board. They couldn't talk about real application and demonstration. They couldn't bring it to you in a way that you could receive it. And this is what happens all across our country, and sadly to a lot of folks that look like you and I, and it just does not have to be so. Um, I'll say this really briefly. I also understand the school to prison pipeline because my wife and I have a prison ministry and we go into the prison work release facilities in our, in our area. And uh, we talk about math and we help math and we help people with GED and get uh, you know, employment math done. So I, I'm talking to this young uh, Puerto Rican guy and he says to me, Mr. Austin, will you help me with fractions? And I just smiled and said, yes, I'll help you with fractions. And so we started talking and he began to share a story with me. And he said, when I was a kid in school, I wanted to learn. He said, but I didn't understand. And so the teachers would only, and I'm quoting him, he said, but the teacher would only help the students who were already successful. Me, because I didn't understand, they wouldn't help. It took me about two weeks to get him straight in fractions. He's since been released from prison, and now he's employed working in the field that he wanted to work in, which is putting in hardwood floors and working with his hands because measurement is a tool that he needed. And I said to him one day, and I started crying when I said this to him, I said, 
it was never your fault. You were always able to learn. And it had nothing to do with you. And I need to get in front of as many adults like you as I can because I'm not interested in helping the school system per se. My mission when I speak of a mathematics renaissance, a rebirth and a revival of simply learning the love of learning to do mathematics, that has to be given and given back to our community. And I have to find people like you who may have had not the best experiences growing up and change them and transform them and reform them because you give me an hour with anyone that's a math foe and I'll start turning them around in that space. And after a while, they'll go out and do what I've done, right? And we cannot expect academia, professors, school districts to fix this. This is our school. This is our community. These are our children. And we have everything that we need amongst ourselves to fix this. I, I love that you said that. I want to address that further later on. You got actually brought a tear to my eye when you said, it's not you, it's them. And I think so many of our children need to hear that. Um, but I have a question from the audience I want to address. Linda Washington Coleman, she asked about test scores because, you know, everything is measured in schools. And uh, even though we have different types of articles on our website about how testing is biased toward our children, I want to address that because your schools are being rated now ABCDs and getting report cards. And their main goal is to teach children how to pass these tests, basically. But how can, and, and I've actually heard as a teacher, I'm a former teacher, I've actually heard in faculty meetings, you know, there's only a certain group that's bringing our scores down. And you know who they were talking about. Sure. They were praising the Asians and the white children, basically. But that certain group was bringing down their test scores for the school. Um, how can parents help to raise their child's test scores in math? I would first say that the test should never be the focus. And for me, the reason why we have students that we feel are struggling on, quote unquote, the test is because they've never sufficiently been taught well enough and they've never received the support that they need. Now they're in a situation where they're getting the test. How many of us like somebody to give us a piece of paper, sit us down and we put the walls up and say, take a test? So that in and of itself can be really, really difficult. I also will tell you that there's so many different ways to find the brilliance and the uniqueness and the capabilities and abilities of a child without giving them a bubble test, a short answer test, a true-false. There's so many different ways that we can alternatively assess our students. One of the problems that I have with high stakes are typically biased against our students, and uh, you have so many students who have parents who can put them in enrichment programs, uh, you know, uh, there's Kumon, there's Princeton Review, there's Kaplan. There are students who prepare to take the SAT. There are students who are coached. Right? And so two issues with testing. It's biased. The second thing is it's often not the best way to learn what you know. And now the school systems and the districts all across this country have gotten parents and kids into a frenzy that their evaluation of who they are is based upon this piece of paper. And that's wrong. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what's going on. Teachers' raises are based on and part, partly on those test scores. So now we teach the test and we don't teach the mathematics. If we taught students properly and taught them arithmetic very well through field number early and taught them basic algebra by the time in the sixth grade, they'll have the skills to understand 
And they should get some coaching if high-stakes testing is what you as a parent value. But I can tell you, if we keep sending our kids to school, letting what's being done to them continually being done, if we let that status quo exist, then we'll still have the same problem. It's not about the test. It has nothing to do with testing. Why is it the case that our students are said to be underperforming? That's the school. You're alleged to be a teacher. Their kids coming here. What's the problem? I can tell you the very same students that go to these very same public schools that are in my Saturday Math Academy, who I've raised from four and five-year-old who are now coming back to my program to teach, they don't have problems with your standardized testing. But I also tell them it's not about the test. It's about the love of learning. So now all the parents think, see, we're tunnel vision now. Oh, my kid's getting a D. They're getting an F. What does that even mean? Right? And they're not doing well on the test. What does that even mean? was the test written for? What are the standards? Uh, did, did you really even understand the material that the teacher taught? Teachers cover so much material. The curriculum is a mile long and an eighth of an inch deep. There's no depth of understanding. Now you're on to the next thing. There's no connections. And now we blame our students. I'm not interested in ever hearing that a student didn't do well in the test. I'm holding teachers to account about what their practices were. And parents and communities, what are you doing apart from school? Uh, what are you doing outside of school? What enrichment activities are you doing? What are you going to do? You can't rely on the schools anymore. But, but now we're all focused on the test. And that's what we want us. And that's not the place we need to be. I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, and it, it's, it's really important because I always said, even as a teacher, if the majority of your class is failing, it's not the majority of the class's problem. It's your problem. Yours. Right? So, Yours. you know, it's more than one person that is having a problem with you. And teachers won't often take that accountability. It has to be those kids. No, you're not teaching and reaching those kids in the way they need to be reached. So Absolutely. change your method. Change. Evolve. Evolve. You know, but they, they don't do that. They get stuck in their ways. And if these other kids can do it, why can't you? No, Absolutely. because you have a different way of learning. We have been since we've gotten here to this country, mm -hmm. had to do things practically yeah, because absolutely. of who we are. And, and, and even if people who haven't come from this country, hopefully they've had a better experience with math, but the, the, especially African-Americans, we've always had to do things practically because we didn't have anything else. Um, and that's how our children learn. It does trickle down. But let me ask you another question because, mm -hmm. you know, I've experienced this. I've known people experience this, children. What about math panic attacks? Like, do you have any recommendations for parents on how to help their children manage those? I know firsthand about what that's like. And so here's a case in point. I remember our daughter, she was little. Uh, my wife was asking her about a math question uh, that she had on a piece of page. And when my daughter gave the wrong answer, her, her answer, let's say it was about you know, addition or something, it was just so completely escaped from what reality was, right? And I could see her just getting tense with my wife. And so she just said anything, right? I think we do a lot of things that produce anxiety when it ought not to be there. No one should be teaching children without um, frivolity, fun, uh, smiling, and laughter. We really have to kind of bring that way down. Now, in my program, I don't even call any uh, activity a lesson. It's an engagement. We're just kind of together. I'm not standing in front of you. I'm not looking down at you. We're having a conversation, and we're talking. And one of the things that we need to start telling our children is this. At the first, you may not see it, 
but sooner or late you will seize it. It's just not the case that everybody understands at the same rate, right? And so you can produce so much anxiety in a child when you give them a time test. When <laughs> you're standing over their shoulder. Now, to undo anxiety takes time and patience and really good teaching. And I'm saying that that can probably most likely happen uh, in environment, uh, outside of the school, in an enrichment program where kids can really tap into the joy of just math and doing math. But anxiety is something that I, I see happen all the time. My students come to me on Saturdays and they tell me about the anxiety. Uh, and that has to be unlearned because that's damage that's been done. That, that, that's actually trauma. You've traumatized a person. And now that has to be undone. But you have to get them in a different environment. And the classroom is not the place to undo that trauma and that anxiety. And also a parent or somebody just berating the child and making it difficult for them, that's not going to help either. They have to be placed in an environment where there's skilled craftsmen, artisan teachers who know how to work with students who experience that kind of trauma. All right. Well, how can a parent help their child learn to love math and numbers? Like what kind of things can they do at home? Is there something they can buy or a book that you recommend? You know, I would suggest to, to parents to become students of mathematics, become students of mathematics with your child. Um, be vulnerable with them. Do math with them. Uh, tell them you don't know. Ask them questions. Just decide to become a student yourself. Now, I have a Saturday Math Academy, uh, Engageable Designs Unleashed. Uh, from October to May, every Saturday for three hours, you'll have parents who also will come and do math alongside the children. Some parents just sit in the back of the classroom. Some of them cry. They'll say, I've never understood math before, and now I begin to understand. And so I think in our homes and in our communities, we need different places for our kids to do math in a safe space. And as a parent, it's a great thing for you to say to your child, I want to learn with you. I want to learn alongside with you. Now, there are all sorts of resources out there. I'm going to be honest with you. You would have to convince me if I was growing up in this generation why you would even send me to school based on what my experiences were because everything is here. There's websites, there's, there's apps online to teach you how to use this device. I mean, there's so many things that we can do that are online that are free, right? And so just start immersing yourself in websites, uh, devices, games that are free. In our community, we have a store called Math in Stuff. Math apostrophe in stuff, S-T-U-F-F. Every time I go there, I'm the only African-American in the store. There are certain places that we can go to. There's museums, there's stores. They sell all sorts of math, games, puzzles, and toys. Go on to Amazon. Ask me. Ask anyone. But I think you have to have the initiative to decide that you yourself as a parent are going to seek out the resources that are free that you can use to engage your child at home. And then set up a starting math academy. I'll show you how to do that, too. So can you tell people how to get in contact with you now? I'm going to ask you again at the end, but how to get in contact with you about the Math Academy? Because we have a question from Bailey Reunion here. So the easiest way is to get me at my Gmail account. Let me give you my Gmail account. It's very simple. Fear, no number. The word fear, no, N-O, number, at gmail.com. Fear, no number, at gmail.com. Anybody that gets me up there, they'll get an instant reply. Fear no number at gmail.com. Did you guys get that? Fear no number. I'll put it up on the screen in one minute. Fear no number at gmail.com. 
Okay, I have a few more questions for you, but I'm, I'm, this is so good. I don't want to end it right now, so I hope you have time to uh, keep talking to us. Good, that's great. Okay, so that's all I want to hear. So there we go, fearnonumber at gmail.com. So what do you want to see for um, Black children specifically when it comes to math? What do you hope for? Right now, I tell people this all the time. One day I'm going to walk in this classroom door and you're going to see me for the last time. So as a, as a man of my years now, I'm thinking about legacy. I have seven grandchildren, and I'm really trying to think about what happens after I'm gone. And it should not be the case that black people have to start over and over again. I want someone to build on the foundation that I've established. And here's a case in point. I have a lot of students that I work with who are middle schoolers, and they say that they hate math. So here's my solution to them. You've got to be proficient, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach mathematics to my K-5 students, and I'll pay you to come to Saturday Math Academy to teach mathematics to the children that are younger than you in the community. If you're a sixth, seventh, eighth grader, I expect that you can help a first, second, third, or fourth, or fifth grader. If you need some help from me and my staff, adult staff, we'll help you do that. I want to transform you. So here's what I really want to see in my own program. I want to see more teachers who are 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, who are from this community and who have a commitment to the students in this community, who are coming to teach the kids that are younger than them how to do mathematics. And you don't need a teacher certification to ever teach anybody anything about mathematics. You need care, concern, and love. And me and my staff, we get young people into our program and we're training them to teach. Right now, we have a pool of young teens who are teaching in our program. Our 6th, 7th, 8th graders are only taught by former students who are now in high school or college. So I have to raise up a generation, this is a grassroots thing, of young students in our communities who say to themselves, I can teach as well as my teacher. And I don't even have to go to college to do that. That's That's fantastic. That's That's Well. One of the best ways to retain concepts like math is to have kids teach them back to you. So that helps there them learn not to forget the rules and formulas for math or anything. And, and it helps Absolutely. them to problem solve. So parents hear that. If you don't hear anything else, when you teach your children something, have them teach it back to you. You know, yes. not right away because that's rote, but take, give them a couple of days and have them come back and teach yes. it to you. And, and that way it will stay with them for Ever. It stays with them forever, if not for just a long time. So I highly recommend that. I think that was a, a great suggestion. Now, I want to go back because you answered a couple of my questions and your answer already. But um, you once said that in your talk that you can't learn when you hate something. Right. You can't learn it. Right. It's hard to, to like wrap your head around that. So can you talk about that for a minute? I tell my students, it's not the case that you don't know mathematics. We use math all the time. But I need to find a point in which to connect you with some mathematics that you understand and that you enjoy. So if it's basketball, well, you know, I'll tell my students, if you made eight out of, you know, seven out of eight shots, what percent did you make? Percentages. We're using rates and ratios all the time. I ask my students to talk about measurement. I ask my students to physically draw something. I ask my students to make a vision board about division. I ask my students to look at art. I find some point where my students can understand and embrace math. So here's a case in point. This summer, I'm working with a bunch of middle school students who say they hate math. But you know what they don't hate? They don't hate money. They don't hate cash. They don't hate understanding how money works. So we tell them that money makes money. The money that money makes makes more money. 
and I give them a dollar or a five dollar bill, and I'll say, every time I see you, I'm going to record that serial number. So you still have that same dollar bill or five dollar bill. I'm going to pay you some percent interest on that. And if you keep that money, I'll pay you the interest on the money that you already earned. So now we're taking simple interest and showing them a situation of compounding interest. And then you show them how to do the calculation. They don't care. They just do it. Because I tell them after a while, look, uh, how much money do I owe you? That way, if you do the calculation, now you have to show me. They want to get paid because I have a stack of cash and coins right here for them. Right? I have students who sell candy at school. And so we'll get a bag of candy and we'll ask them about how much are they going to make off this bag of candy. And then what's their profit and loss? How much do they have to sell each piece of this in this bag to make a profit? I mean, we, we have to find points at which the kids already understand. And then the math has to be interesting. No one's interested in solving the quadratic equation with pencil and paper. It's just not fun. Let's <laughs> be with that, okay? Give me something I can do. Right? I tell you. <laughs> No, that's that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, Now, how can parents who really do well with math and numbers, how can they give back and help children in their community? What can they do? Volunteer, go to the schools, set up after school enrichment programs. And if they're so inclined, don't ever go around telling people that you're smart. Because now people begin to think that, well, okay, that's why you can do it because you're smart. And since I'm not doing it, that means I'm not smart. So just tell people that you enjoy it and you want to share that enjoyment with them. Because doing mathematics is not a function of being smart. It's a function of effort. And if you have the time and if you have the inclination, then go help someone else in your community. The teachers are challenged to do all they can do. The public schools are a system. And they're going to keep doing the things that the system ties to do. So we on the outside have to come to our students and give them solutions. But everybody in our community should be opening up little, you know, hole in the walls and enclaves and, you know, libraries or in your home or in your church and giving kids opportunities to do math and enjoy math outside of the textbook, outside of the worksheet, outside of the school. And everybody that has that skill that even alleges to be mathematically inclined should also be volunteering and helping out. Fantastic. Let me ask you, do you have any last words of wisdom for parents who are listening, how they can help their children uh, to be successful in numbers and and math and even down to STEM because STEM is part of, uh, math is part of STEM. So can you talk to them about any last words of wisdom that you want to say? Absolutely. If they're parenting young children, and I'll say especially if they're young in elementary schools, please make sure that they learn to read very, very well because mathematics is is a function of reading as it is as a of arithmetic. So make sure they can read really, really well. Um, get them exposed to fun, playful ways to do math, games, puzzles, toys, conversations. I mean, when I see a vehicle going down the street, I'm trying to, you know, buy that number, add it up. Is it a prime, a composite number? I mean, just engage them in conversations where you're in the car, the course of your day. We've heard this said many times before, when you're in the kitchen baking, get them to start using numbers and having conversations. And if they don't say something or do something quite right the way you think they should, don't don't judge them. Give the children, when they're young, great opportunities to just play and have fun. The business of young children is to play in the first place. Older students, let's say your middle grades and above, you might have 
do some, uh, I don't like this word remedial because math max isn't remedial, but you're going to have to go to some areas where they really do struggle. And in most cases, when you find students who are not being successful at math in the older grades, here's the one problem that they have. They're not clear about their skills with arithmetic. They don't know their multiples very well. Prime and composite numbers are confusing to them. And then it really breaks down with fractions, decimals, percents, rate, ratios, proportions. So if you can somehow add, subtract, multiply, and divide whole numbers, now you have to do the same thing with fraction, decimal, percents. Well, if fractions are a problem with you, your whole career, your whole impetus forward is just kind of stalled. So make sure that you really help your students with that area of mathematics. And I'm going to say it really clearly, fractions, fractions, fractions for the middle grade students. And then approach that with them from a point in which they do understand and that they care. And just don't even, I don't even really care about what they sent home from school, the workbook, the worksheet, the test. Don't focus on that. Focus on building up their skills and understanding, especially with rational numbers, because as they go forward, that's going to be some of the most meaningful math that they'll ever need to know. Wow, fantastic. This talk has been amazing. I wish that I would have known you a long time ago. But I have a feeling that, you know, you probably you might be a little younger than me, but I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. You're not 60, sister. I believe I, I wish I'd known you when I was going to school and it could have helped me way back then. And But you definitely are helping masses of children now, which is most important. But get, tell us one more time. Tell people how they can get in contact with you, because a lot of people are going to need help. And I mean, there's Skype now, so I'm sure a lot of people might even ask you. I'm not trying to give you a new business here to Skype uh, for, for help. Uh, so, sure. but yeah, but uh, sure. I always say teachers should also engage Skype and FaceTime to keep they up should. with parents who are busy. Yeah. But here, can you tell them your information one more time? Uh, easiest way to get me is my email address fear no number. That's three words the word fear. N-O, the word number, fear no number at gmail.com. Any email I get, I'll reply to it. I'll respond to it. Um, I have a heart and a passion to help kids and help parents. Um, my wife and I were planning a trip to Tampa. Uh, the hurricane that was not, uh, didn't go to Alabama either. <laughs> we weren't going to make the trip. <laughs> so we had to postpone that. So, uh, But I was in Philadelphia. I mean, we just want to take Saturday Math Academy and the things that we do on the road uh, so if any community anywhere asks me to do anything, you know, I'll endeavor to do my best to support them all the time. That's I, mean, that's I, hope, I hope our paths cross other than electronically in the future, uh, because I think that's what you're doing is remarkable. And I want to thank you, so, you know, for coming on our show. Team. I will. I will. But I want to thank you for coming on the show. So we really appreciate you being here. And for everyone else who are everyone else who's listening right now, because we had a lot of interaction. If you were able to see the video, um, I want to thank you all for participating and for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. Now, if you miss part of the show, no worries. You can just wait a few minutes and click play for the replay of the podcast share it with anyone who needs to hear it and let's get the word out okay so it's very important to share it now our next episode will be on friday september 20th at 6 p.m so we have a night one and then we have a day one on saturdays but on fridays it's at 6 p.m pacific daylight time and 9 p.m eastern daylight time so if you're on the east coast it's uh nine west coast six 
and I will be interviewing Dr. Dorette Norhassan. She is the author of Miracle Baby, a Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. And if you have had trouble conceiving or you know someone who has fertility challenges, be sure to tag them in her in her post on her Facebook page. You'll see that it's up now. And be sure to hit the Get Reminder button on the post so that you don't forget to tune in as well. And you can ask questions live in our chat on our Facebook comment section. And if your question gets picked, I'll put it up live on air and I will ask that question. One more thing. Don't forget to follow us too. We are on Twitter. So as a Twitter, we're on Twitter at Black Parenting One and on Instagram, we are on uh, an Instagram. We're at Black Parenting Magazine. So it's a little bit different for Instagram. Our website is SuccessfulBlackParenting.com and it's full of good content to help you thrive and not just survive as a parent. And finally, be sure to rate our podcast. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Kuhari, which is Swahili for goodbye. See you guys soon. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. You can help us to level up by supporting this podcast. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm and search for Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting, and then hit the button that actually says support this podcast. I want you to go there now. Go, 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 go. And thank you ahead of time. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon. 